Why, hello, it's me, Graham Norton here. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Let's take a look at the delights we've got for you this week. Leila Ruas uh, was on the show chatting about the return of crime drama Traces. Griff Rees-Jones joined me to talk about taking to the stage for an hour and a half late over in Bath. The very dapper Rafe Spall, Tweed, I tell you, uh, was in the studio talking about his brand new role as Atticus Finch in the West End adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird and Josie Silver, bless her, she was running a little late, but we squeezed her in uh, to tell us about her locked-in-a-room romance, A Night on the Island. Plus, a treat, show chef Martha's cooking up something rather special and romantic for Valentine's Day. But before all of our fabulous guests, let's catch up with Maria and solve some more of your Graham's Guide dilemmas. She's here. Hello. I am here. Good yes. morning, Graham Norton. Like a ray of sunshine. <laughs> so kind of you to say. A bit cross this morning because my jeans are tight. You know you have those days That's where... That's weird, isn't it? Jeans yeah. loose, good day. Jeans tight, bad day. That's why you never wash a jean. Never wash it. No. You put them in the freezer, apparently, to freeze out all the germs. Oh, is that what you do? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I haven't tried that. Oh, yeah. That's a well-known thing, Graham. Oh, right. But that doesn't doesn't get over the problem of them being too tight. No. No, it does not. But I did have one day this week where I had three cakes. What, like little cakes or a whole cake? Big cakes. You ate three whole cakes? Well, not one after another. Oh, I just I had three social occasions that required cake. Of course. And unlike Joan Rivers, who used to say, oh, I can't, I've had a big breakfast. I just said, mmm, lovely, more cake, thank you. <laughs> yes, I will eat that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so there's a reason my jeans are too tight. Very good show last night. So <gasps> nice to see Adele on your show. Uh, thank you. It was a good show. I, and I like that they all got on. The th- the Can four you invite Adele over for dinner and me too? Of course. Thank you. Not a problem. Because <laughs> uh, she says she's going out for dinner more. So, yeah, maybe she will. Yeah, yeah, she's trying not to be too anal about her privacy. Yeah. Which is good. Yeah, I feel maybe she's tried a little too hard. Uh, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I know, but after your show, she was spotted in, you know, G-A-Y... Uh, pole dancing with her top off. So, you know, that's not quite so private, is it? No, exactly. She's I taking think, yeah. it to heart, I think. The- yes. I feel like it was like <laughs> one of those, you know, in a sitcom where somebody goes, you know, and I'm never sleeping with him again. Cut, and they do a cut to her waking up with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it course. was like that kind of like, I'm going to go out more. What's the worst that could happen? Cut to <laughs> swinging off a pole <laughs> in, in, in Heaven Nightclub. God love her for having a good old go. But also, that. she's 33. Have some fun. Go yes. out there. I mean, exactly. that's, when that's when you're supposed to be having fun. You know, if you or I did it, it would be tragic. But <laughs> not we so- used to do it, Graham. Exactly. I, I seem we're... to recall this when we'd been to see Dirty, Dirty Dancing. Um, we came out, and because I was inspired by the Dirty Dancing, <laughs> I did a very high kick. Yes. And one of the clever photographers, I did it so quick, but one of the clever photographers did a sort of, you know, shot of. Pants. There was a lot of upper thigh, I remember. Well, in that there photograph. were pants. There was, there was gusset as well, which I was rather horrified by. But, you know, At least luck- it was there. Luckily, my gusset was indeed there. But it was gusset intact. I looked at that photograph and I remember your face looking kind of like, oh God, why did, why did she do that? Why would you do that with, in front of photographers? Well, I was, we weren't even 33. I know we were young in those days, whenever Dirty Dancing came out. Hey, Graham, I must say hello to somebody I was 
was rude to on the train this morning. Uh-oh, you? Joanna, rude? Joanna Goodwin, who is a choreographer. And, I, you know, I was in a little reverie on the train. It's lovely, 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 quiet. And then this person got on with earbuds in. And uh, everything's coming up roses. And I was thinking, well, that's novel, uh, because it's normally... Yeah. But anyway, I could just hear tinniness. And so when we started, I thought, no, that's too loud. I'll ask her nicely. I'll say nicely. Do mind turning it down a little bit. It's lovely because it's um, coming up roses, but a bit loud, and all I'm getting is. So she did turn it down, and then she said, Oh, um, I recognise you from your voice. And I was thinking, Ah, no, I've been horrible to somebody, and now they recognise me. So she, Joanna Goodwin, lovely, we chatted all the way to London, choreographer, and she's doing um, a show at the Alexander Palace on the 21st of February, and it's Gypsy in concert, and it's lots of different people. Your old mate, Tracy Bennett, and. I thought I was going to be in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought for a minute, the way you indicated me, I thought, I'm Am I in it? <laughs> yes, you're in it. Did as I well. sign up for this? Lots of people paying Mama Rose, including Graham Norton, <laughs> yeah, Tracy lovely. Bennett, Kiana Settle, and it's one night only, and there's still tickets available. But anyway, a lovely, lovely girl. I might choreograph. I might get her to choreograph something, and I'll come in and do it for you. Well, of course. Now we've we've mentioned your high kicking abilities. <laughs> I'm not sure they're quite as high anymore <laughs> without putting my hip out. But of course, you know, even though I'm wearing my too tight jeans, I will attempt to do it while you play a record. But you are very bendy. I remember you doing bar work on a gate. Bar work? You know, bar, you know, like the gymnastics. Yes. I remember you doing kind of like bar things on a on a gate. Do you remember that? Do you, do you remember that? Uh, yes, I do. Quite a drunken afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Rosé had been consumed. That could have been any day. <laughs> I have a friend who you know when she's drunk because she always does the splits. Oh, okay. That is always the the clue. Ah, yes. Does his bits and cries. <laughs> Has to go to a hospital with a torn hamstring. Virgin Radio. Featuring Maria. Oh, that wasn't very no, good. No, I thought that was good. That was good. Really, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up, Graham. There are bigger fish to fry in the world. Okay, I'm going to read you this letter out loud in my best voice. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, me and my best friend have known each other since we were toddlers, as our mums knew each other and our families are close. We've always been pretty much inseparable, and even when we went to uni and settled down in different places, we've still maintained good contact and seen each other frequently. My birthday is in January, and this year I didn't receive anything. Not a card or a text. I normally would put it down to a mistake, but this is the second year in a row. I'm not hiding it from social media, so I'm sure she sees, and she's in group chats where other friends have sent me birthday wishes. I made a joke out of it last year, and she brushed it off. But now it's happened again, I'm quite surprised. She chips in for other people's birthdays too, so I feel like it's isolated with me. I'm now very tempted to miss her birthday, which is coming up in early March. But I fear that may be too petty. How do I bring this up without sounding really precious? And that is from Phoebe in Chippenham. Oh, Phoebe in Chippenham. You know, some people take birthdays way more seriously than others. For some people, it's just another day, especially after you've had, you know, all the parties and you get a bit older. I don't know how old you are, Phoebe and Chippenham, but you get a bit older and you think, oh, really, can I be bothered? It's not a big one. It's not a significant one. It's just another birthday. I'll have a bit of cake when I get home and that's it. And for other people, it's a big deal. It's balloons and, you know, crackers, etc. You sound like that sort of person. I would say your friend is not that bothered. I mean, yes, by all means, 
means miss her birthday. She probably won't even notice that you've missed her birthday because she's one of those people who isn't that bothered. It's not particularly petty to miss it. It's just you made an error. But you are somebody who loves birthdays and loves to mark them. So that seems silly for you to do that. I mean, you know, it's so easy now on Facebook because it all flicks up, doesn't it? Somebody's birthday today. Does it mean anything? I mean, I kind of think birthday cards, five quid. What do you do with them afterwards? You open them, you go, <laughs> that's funny, yes. Um, now, what do you do? Do you save them? What do you do with birthday cards, Graham? No, you chuck them away. Well, well, you, sa- you save them for a little while and then you chuck them away. <laughs> that's what you do. You- what, is the, what is the sufficient amount of time to save them before you chuck them away? Ten years. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> You've got a big sack. You what do you say, think of Phoebe's problem? I, look, here's the thing. I, the, for instance, I don't do Facebook, so because of that, I managed to miss my good friend Carl's fiftieth birthday because I, I, in my head, I thought it was a weekend later. Da, da, da. And would your good friend Carl mind? Well, I did, but I apologised. I said I'm sorry, I missed your birthday. Right. What so, did he say? Nah, never he, mind. Uh, well, he didn't say anything. But he would have minded. He would have minded because okay, because it's your fiftieth, and we're friends. Oh, I suppose that is a significant it's one. It's a isn't bit, it? you know. And also, I think, you know, Carl's one of the people he likes a birthday. So, Phoebe, Egyptian likes birthdays. She hasn't apologised. And she does if she's in a group chat. But she may have muted the group chat if it's all people going, whispering on about your birthday, Phoebe. So, eh, it's hard to know. It's, it is hard to know. Well, that's why she's written to us. You've yes. got to answer her. What's your answer? Uh, I don't care. <laughs> That is not the right answer, Graham. <laughs> this is what you're paid to do. Okay, okay. Phoebe and Chipnam, here's the thing. She's missed your birthday two years in a row. Two years in a row. So what's the rest of your friendship like? If the rest of your friendship is kind of rolling on normally, then it's just a thing. She just, you know, you know what? I can't, I'm, it's just, I've just done Christmas. I've got loads of things on. And oh, I forgot Phoebe's birthday. Who cares? Phoebe, apparently. But uh, if the rest of your relationship is the same as it was... That's then, fine. ...then there's nothing to worry about. I mean, they don't live in the same place. No. So, you know, people get involved in their own lives and their own groups and circles. And so maybe next time you see her, and it sounds like you do still see each other regularly, she'll come with a birthday present and say, oh, I forgot your birthday completely, but look, I got you this. You don't know. She's not going to do that. Uh, but she's I, not trying to fall out with you. I think that's well, what Phoebe well, is worried well, I, about. Well, yes, I think that's what she's worried about. And I think you need to look for other clues. You can't make lots of decisions just about the fact she forgot your birthday. You've got to kind of go, oh, that's odd. She didn't reply to that text. Or that's odd. She, you know, has changed her number. Or that's odd. Uh, letters are being returned. Uh, that, <laughs> <laughs> or you could just say, you know, she forgot my birthday. Oh, well, first world problems. There yeah. are people dying in yeah. the world. <laughs> that, that's all. There's a restraining order. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm in prison now. <laughs> they found my gun. I guess, they, I guess she doesn't want to be my friend anymore. <laughs> uh, so, Phoebe, I think don't blow this out of proportion. It's... It, yeah, as Maria says, some people put more importance on birthdays than others. She may not be as Facebooky as you, and it might have slipped, you know, through the net. So I wouldn't worry too much. If you've got advice for Phoebe in Chippenham, and you know, because it is a kind of a weird social well, if she's, thing. If she's that much of a good friend, you could be. Able, you could ring her up and say, "Thanks for my birthday present." Not thanks for my birthday mention. Not if you wanted to. If you want to make a big thing about it, or you could just let it go. Or you could buy her a car and really shame her um, when it's. Uh, her birthday yeah yeah or huge holiday that's a stupid thing to say <laughs> <laughs> but 
It's what I expect from you today, frankly. It would work. It would work. <clears throat> it's a very ridiculous yeah. end to a joke and a friendship. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, a very expensive one. VB uh, and Trip, no, you may get advice, for better advice from the listeners. Virgin Radio. Maria. Now that was more like. Yeah, you're getting the hang oh, of it now. The, 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 the mix was oh, oh <laughs> sweet. Smoking. It was smoking, Graham. Oh, yeah. Here's my second problem. Yeah. <clears throat> Dear Graham and Maria, I love this problem, by the way. I've always thought of myself as an honest person, but due to some of my friends' behaviour, I'm worried I'm a changed man. Every week, four friends and I meet at our local pub for a pub quiz. I'd normally mention the venue, but I don't want to because of our team's actions. We try our best every week, but never win the big cash prize. To my surprise, in last week's game, we came first. It was a right laugh and I genuinely felt so excited. Elated, (laughs) we stepped out of the pub when a couple of my friends started laughing and saying that they couldn't believe we got away with cheating using Google on our phones. I was shocked as somehow I had no idea this had been going on and I was really disappointed. Besides the embarrassment and shame of returning to the pub and feeling like everybody knew, my main issue was that I know the quiz host really well. He makes no money from the quiz and puts his heart and soul into making them really good every single week. Should I say to my team, no more cheating and never speak of it again, or gather them together to pay it back to the quiz master? And that is from Alfie in London. Alfie in London, I love your letter. And I, I, I'm not sure whether it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. I'm not sure, but I'm going to take it as read and say, you know, it may have been a victory, Alfie, but a Pyrrhic victory because cheating is absolutely a no-no in pub quizzes. I mean, where is the joy? Where's the sense of achievement if it's not come from your adult brains but come from Google? That's too easy. I mean, you've let yourselves down, you've let the quiz master down, and you've let your local pub down. That's all I can say to your team. However, there is redemption for you. I don't think you need to pay it back to the quiz master. I think you need to never speak of this again, that you cheated and received a big cash prize. But you must say to your other three team members, we cannot cheat. What is the point of cheating? I might as well stay at home and cheat from home. It's the whole point of this coming together in a quiz way, proving that you're better than somebody else by your superior knowledge, etc. But not cheating. I mean, I feel very strongly about the morality of this, Graham. You? Well, not just the morality, but also it just kind of sucks the joy out of it. Mm. You know, you've won, but who cares? Because you didn't really, you know, and... You say big cash prize. I mean, I go back to my buying someone a car for their <laughs> for their birthday. I mean, it won't be huge, will it? We don't know. I mean, if there's a lot of team members playing, and, and, you and it might be a rollover, it might be a rollover week. <laughs> You're thinking this through now. Very uh, good. No, but it still is not going to be huge. I just think you you have removed the joy from the quiz if you're cheating. And I just think say to them, oh come on, look, I I know you did it once, and it was it might have been a laugh to get away. You know, I guess the pleasure they had was getting away with it yes. but he feels Alfie feels duped because he you can see why they don't do that well in the quiz he didn't even notice <laughs> people, <laughs> at his, people at his own table were googling at the answers <laughs> um, I, 
think if they got rid of Alfie, they might do better. <laughs> um, but Alfie, you know, I, 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 you, Alfie's upset because he didn't know anything was going on. So he feels duped and betrayed. The others got some a kick out of it because they got away with it. But I think it, you need to just say, you, look, I don't want to be... Look, guys, I like the quiz. I like hanging out with you. I like having a night at the pub. The quiz master I, is my mate. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't like being on a team that cheated so you can't do that more than once because people will start to notice won't they suddenly they went from never winning to winning and all the other teams are thinking wait a minute Alfie's team the team that Alfie's on (laughs) (laughs) don't be mean to Alfie (laughs) no Alfie's lovely because but Alfie gets it you know Alfie knows that this is there's no there's no winning this way no you just end up with a bit of cash that you didn't deserve and you've nicked it from people that you're in the pub with and you've kind of really done a horrible thing to the quiz master who's your friend yeah. and, and they've yeah, used yeah. their own wit and wisdom and you've taken money away from them you could suggest to your team if you feel that badly about it Alfie that you rather than giving it back and making a big deal of it that you give it to charity because that, it, that's not going to happen it's, it's filthy money it's it, tainted it's tainted Graham and you know what else it is spent <laughs> <laughs> It's long gone. You so, are Alfie, aren't you? You wrote this letter. Uh, no, it's gone. The money's gone. And what I agree with you, don't try and give it back because that'll sort of turn it into a huge incident. Be, you know, then they'll have to decide, should we bar you from the quiz? Blah, 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 blah. So just, I think it's easy to say to them because, look, if they are your friends and they are, you know, vaguely decent people, they will kind of, they'll get it. And like I say, their fun was getting away with it. But they can't keep doing you, and you're right. You can't keep doing no. it. And there's much more pleasure and joy to be had from you know winning or losing in an honest way. And because in a pub quiz, even if you get because they're so hard, even if you get one question right, it's like what you like punching the air that we knew you know that it was a Ford Cortina, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Have you been to a quiz where that has been the answer? Yes, I have. <laughs> No, I haven't. Do you do pub quizzes? I don't. I, no, I've been. I've been to a few. And I'm always so, you know, because I, th- I don't think I'm that stupid. But you go into a pub quiz and you feel like Mickey Moron. Yeah, no, because uh, they're like, professionals. No, I mean, and... nothing. I knew nothing. Uh, it's frightening. Anyway. But as any quiz, as any quizzer will tell you, um, it is an absolute no-no to cheat, Alfie. There is a yeah. sort of quiz honour to be had yes. here. I, I don't think your friends will be getting much support from the Virginisters, but I might be wrong. Graham's Guide. Yeah, it's Graham's Guide, Dab Responses, a part one. Uh, our first letter was from a lady called Louise. She's been uh, friends with this girl since, really, they were toddlers. Their, their moms were friends and they stayed friends all through school, even through uni. And then when they settled in different parts of the country, contact was remained. They were you know, good friends. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Louise's birthday is in January and uh, didn't get anything from her friend. Now, she wouldn't have thought too much about it, but this is the second year in a row. Second year in a row. And it's, you know, and Louise hasn't hidden her birthday. That's what she says. (laughs) I I didn't hide it. As in, it's my birthday. Uh, anyway, whatever. It was, but her birthday was was on social media, and they're in a WhatsApp group together. And other friends in that group were wishing Louise happy birthday. So you know, it's hard to not know. It's hard for her not to know. And now she's thinking, is it too petty to ignore her birthday in March? Should she say something? Should she let it slide? You know, she's looking for advice. 
That's why she came to us. Let's see what you, the listeners, thought. Uh, Louise, a different Louise, I'm guessing, in North Somerset. Louise should ask her friend how she's feeling. Is she stressed or going through something she's not told her about? She might have other things going on, meaning things like birthdays have slipped her mind or aren't important in the moment. Louise, you are so wise. Because when things like this happen, I think because <laughs> we often think it's about us. It, it, that she's done this because of us. But you're quite right, of course. It could easily be to do with her life and what's going on in her life. And actually, I don't have the time or the energy to think of Louise's birthday right now. Uh, Laura in Stonehaven. Perhaps if you've known each other for so long, she's exhausted about having to make a big deal about every single year, especially if she doesn't really care about birthdays. Unless it's a big one and you're throwing a party, let it go and move on. But then you see, what does she do about the? I, what does she do about the birthday, the friend's birthday? Does she recognise that in March? We don't know. Andrea's in Lincolnshire. I think Chloe needs to lower her expectations, and then she won't be so disappointed. It's her inflated e. Oh dear! I mean, she just write a letter now. It's her inflated ego overthinking things. Plus, it's not like it's your flesh and blood that's not bothered. That's true. Uh, Rachel in Leighton Buzzard says, don't stoop to her level and not send her a card out of spite. If you place an importance on birthdays, you should still send one. Rachel, I think you're right. and But I really think Louise has got something there that actually this might be nothing to do with you. And actually, you should reach out to your friend and just make sure that they're OK, because they might be going through something that means, you know, and also... You've got to understand, you know, both of these incidents have happened in our kind of weird world that we, we were living in. So, you know, who knows what's going on in her life? So I would say, uh, yeah, look out for your friend and maybe she will remember your birthday uh, next year. Graham's Guide. The responses part two. Alfie uh, wrote to us. Now, Alfie... <laughs> goes to a pub quiz with his friends every week. And, you know, they never do very well, but they enjoy it and they have a laugh. Anyway, last week, oh, so exciting, they won! Got the big cash prize. Honestly, I think Alfie surprised himself at how elated he felt. He couldn't believe that they were on the winning team. And that was great. And they enjoyed it all. And then they left. And his friends started laughing and going, oh, we can't believe you got away with that. Yeah, friends had been Googling the answers. They'd been cheating, ladies and gentlemen, cheating. Alfie's very upset. And he's good friends with the guy who runs the quiz. And he knows how hard the quiz master works on the thing. He doesn't make any money out of it. And now these guys are, are cheating. So does he say, should we give the money back? Does he say no more cheating? Does he just leave them to it? What should he do? Uh, a big response to this, people feel very strongly about the pub quiz. Let me tell you that. It's funny the things people care about. This is one of them. Shaza in Swansea. Alfie, gather your friends around and tell them they should give the money to charity or you will out them. Cheating at a pub quiz is an absolute no-no. They probably never speak to you again, but at least you can then find some cleverer friends. <laughs> and then maybe you'll win. Yeah, clever friends. That's what we all need. Uh, Billy and Dundee. Oh, yes. Hello, Billy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Alfie needs to confront his friends and let, let them know that winning by cheating is not really winning at all. Inform the quiz master to remember to let everyone know that they will have to put away any devices before the quiz starts or they forfeit the game. This will ensure that, that no one cheats. Oh, Billy, if only life was that simple. 
People go to the toilet and all sorts. Oh, they've got, you know, ear pods disguised behind long hair. It's all going on. Uh, Darren uh, in Poole in Dorset says, definitely do not have it out with your friends. Oh, right. Uh, You run the risk of being billionaire mates. If your friends insist on cheating, tell them you'll all have to find a new venue due to your friendship with a local quiz master. But you don't want to take your cheating elsewhere. Hello. <laughs> Unless you actually call your team the cheaters and uh, you own up when you arrive. Uh, yeah. I, I think people... W- I think if he does it properly, he won't lose his friends over this. I think they might just be a bit embarrassed. At, I mean, you know. They'll, you'll tell them off and they'll go, actually, we know we did a bad thing. We, yeah, we did. Alex and Wells. I think Alfie should talk to the rest of the team and somehow agree on how to restore karma. What goes around comes around. If Alfie values friendship with the quiz master, I can't see how he can personally let this go. Well, I guess the karma is they will never, ever win the quiz again because they've never won it before. <laughs> so the chance of them winning it, quite slim. And Jackie in Cheltenham says, those pub quizzers should give the money to charity or their souls will suffer forevermore. Only losers resort to cheating and it takes away all the fun. Pull together as a team and try harder. Yeah, you know, practice, do training, do some, you know, brain gymnastics during the week. Uh, Thank you for all your responses to today's Graham's Guide and indeed yesterday's. And we will have some more Graham's Guides next weekend. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. She's here. She's here. My first guest of the day. Uh, you know for so many things. Uh, most recently it was at Holby, but now it can be seen in the second season of Traces. Uh, so my guest is Leila Roos. Hello. Hello. Hi. So uh, Traces, that first season was a big, because it started on Alibi, didn't it? Which is, yes. th- this is on Alibi from Tuesday the 15th, 15th. at 9 o'clock. Yeah. Yep. On UK TV, mm-hmm. um, but then that la- that first season then had a life of its own. Yes, it just kind of just grew organically. It went on to the BBC. I think as well there was nothing sort of new being filmed, obviously over lockdown. So um, they were just sort of soaking in anything that was, you know, that was new, any new drama. But it was it, it went really really well. The audience loved it. Hence the second series. Yeah, which is great because it has a bit of. So if you watch season one of Traces. Um, it's got a bit of that story following on, but mm. then literally an explosive new plot. Darling. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that funny, Leila. It really wasn't. I know. It's the way you say it. It's the way you deliver it. <laughs> an explosive. Yes, there is. Um, well, um, my character comes in, who's Michael's wife, and you don't really know anything about his personal life. Um, and she comes in, she's a bit of a, you know, she's very confident in, in what she does. She knows what she wants. Um, but there is a little sort of love triangle sort of thing going yeah. on. Yes. And also, it struck me because all the other characters keep saying, have you seen his wife? She's gorgeous. <laughs> have you seen his wife? She's so beautiful. She's so hot. <laughs> Were you kind of like, yes, I can play that. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is me. I read the, like, the brief. I was like, yeah, yeah, I've got this. It's in the bag. <laughs> Not. <laughs> and I, I wondered, as an actor, is it hard to play that not knowing thing? You know, because you are so... You're in certainly in the episodes I've seen. You're so secure in your relationship. You're so in love. You don't. What do you mean not knowing? Well, in that there is this kind of love triangle. 
thing oh, yeah, going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know... Presumably I, you twig at some point during the series. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, she's so intuitive, she kind, of, she kind of twigs as there's some kind of chemistry going on from day dot. But I was asked, like, you know, what's it like, like you know, doing the love rivals sort of thing and the threesome. I thought, I was like, I did three series of Footballers Wives. It's <laughs> easy peasy for me. <laughs> Where everyone was, at, you know, on everyone on Footballers Wives. So this is... <laughs> This is nothing. <laughs> and were you, um, is it all filmed up in Dundee? No, it's not actually filmed in Dundee. Oh. We, we filmed in Manchester. We did a week in Dundee. I wasn't there. But there was only a set in Dundee, but uh, the majority was filmed in Manchester, as is everything else. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realise that. Yeah. And, and this is, it's, it's Val McDermott's baby, but it's not based on a book. Is that right? I don't think so. No, I think, I I think it's an original idea. Oh, OK. That oh, well, you know more than okay. I do. <laughs> Move on. <Yeah. laughs> Moving on. <laughs> and when you were in Hobie, were you in Hobie to the bitter end or did you get rid of that before no, the end? No, no, I got, I left, I was there like 11 years ago and then I came back for like a, I was supposed to be there for six weeks, I ended up being there for three months and then I found out uh, a couple of months after I'd left that they were filming, um, I think the last day was December 16th. Yeah. So that was quite sad. It must have been so oh, it's heartbreaking. weird. It's weird. And I think the studios are still there. Well, because the, that's the building. I mean, yeah. that's a building. Well, I mean, like all the the actual sets are still there. Yeah. And when you walk in, it actually feels like you're in a hospital. You wouldn't, you know, if, if I took you there blindfolded, you'd think you're in a hospital. So well, yeah, because they used to do... Bizarre. Yeah, they used to do children in need there. So that was uh, when I'd go oh, there. yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, and you'd yeah. walk through the entrance of the that hospital. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I remember. I remember, yeah. We get lots shot there at yeah. Mastery. No, no, it is, it's bizarre that it's no longer being filmed. It's just weird. It may live again. I mean, they may try other things and then bring it back. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I yeah. think... Um, Did you I, die? No. Oh, see? No, no. I just was involved in murder and all of that. So, so she left. But you can get, you can definitely be in the new, in the revamp, Holby. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm coming back. They'll call it, they'll relaunch it as like Holby Extreme or something. Yeah, Holby Nights. <laughs> oh, Holby Nights. That's a great idea. Exactly. Actually, that really is a good yeah, idea. Well, yeah, on the write NHS. That, to, write, write that, that down, down Ryan. Let's, <laughs> let's start like, you know. <laughs> Uh, let, let's chat, we'll talk some more, but let's uh, have a break for music. What have you chosen, and is there a particular reason? I've, I've chosen Garbage, Stupid Girl. I lived in India for six years, and she was, like, my hero. And we did a music video with a, a group called Colourblind, and we basically just ripped the videos, <laughs> all the videos off. And I just wanted to be her. So I love this. I love, I, I, I love Garbage. Graham Norton on Virgin Radio with Waitrose. You said about living in, in India for six years. years. You were, what were you at MTV? You were a VJ. Yeah, I was a VJ, video jockey. So yeah. I manifested this because I, I was obsessed with India. I didn't know anyone in India. Got an acting job in India within three months of my manifesting journey. <laughs> You're looking at me really weird. Well, no, it is. It is an inc- in fairness, in fairness, Lena, it, it is an incredible story. So you've manifested working in India. Mani- three months, it happens. There and it's only like two months. It's only a two-month job. And then I'm watching TV and then like, there's MTV and there's Channel V and it's like, it's just great because they're from all over it's not like here there you've got like 72 territories so the vjs are from everyone thinking i've got to work on this channel i'm going to go out there go to clubs and all of this first club i go to a guy comes up to me hi i'm shaman desai creative director of channel v mtv do you want to be a vj that was a saturday night monday i had the job i'm like this manifesting stuff 
really works. It really does. It's amazing. But so but, but then it must have been a big gamble, a big decision <clears throat> to come home. Oh yeah. Well, I was there for six years, yeah. so I'd kind of done it. I'd done. I've done. I worked for loads of other channels. Done a couple of movies. And, you know, home is home, isn't it? And in the end, you just kind of want to be with your family. We're closer to them. But then it must be weird to come here with all this experience oh, under yeah. your belt, but everyone looking at your CV going, yeah. well, I don't know what any of that is. <laughs> and I'm like, I know, that's what would happen. And we're like, we're Channel V and we did this, we did that. And then, But then you, you kind of, a lot of the times, some of the artists that would blow up here, they've already been to Asia because they're testing the market. So I'm like phoning my friends going, oh, I'm interviewing J-Lo tomorrow. And they're like, J-Lo, like Jennifer Lopez, she's an actress. No, 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 she's not. She's got an album out. And nobody would know. So that you throw those names in and then people go, oh, oh that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Ricky Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and then you returned to music uh, mm-hmm. in Strictly. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about your Strictly experience. Oh, my God, that was a nightmare. <laughs> oh, oh, it was a nightmare. Oh, I really wanted to leave. I wanted to do I really Blackpool. like people who didn't enjoy Strictly. <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. I think it. it sounds awful. <laughs> I love the show. I love I watching love it. I love the show. I love the show. But I wanted to do Blackpool, and that's six weeks. And so I go and we do Blackpool. Rod Stewart's there. I'm thinking I'm living the dream. And then I think after this, I've got to go because, you know, the, everyone else is so much better than me. But I've got Anton Dubeck, and everybody loves him. So then they go, I'm back next week. And I'm thinking, I'm out, I'm out. I know I'm out this week because I haven't done great. Leila Raz and her partner, Anton de Beck, and you've got to go to the camera and go, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I go to her, I can't believe this. I want to go home. It's like, <laughs> so I'm through gritted teeth. And he's like, just smile. I'm like, thank you so much. Like to camera, but, oh, six weeks and I wanted to go. You get paid the same anyway, whether you're in the first week or the 17th week. I thought there was some sort of bonus no, scheme. No, 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 no. Oh, well, see, because I, I knew that it used to be like that, and I kind of thought, oh, well, you'd want to be at week one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You know? And it's not like you're learning to dance. You're not. <laughs> you're just learning a routine, because I can still can't dance. And I did 16 weeks. I like the, I like the people who, I like the people who uh, are so unconfident. They book, they book a panto. <laughs> oh, yes. and, then, and then they're like, what, I'm still in it <laughs> that's what I was like 16 weeks in I was like someone shoot me <laughs> did you get to the final yeah uh, no I couldn't do the final for personal reasons but I was there I did get dressed up and then I had to leave um but yeah no it's listen it is all glitz and glamour it is absolutely crazy crazy love it love the show but I couldn't do it again. And uh, you can't give anything away about Traces, but yeah. is there? Is do they leave it open for a season three? Of course. <gasps> and Absolutely. are you, are you, are you available for season three? If you know what I mean. Always, I'm always available. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so your character. So, oh, so we know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. it. Yeah. You know. You okay. Know. Okay. You know. Okay. No, because you know it's explosive. No, no it's open. Yeah. It's explosive. No, it is. It's really explosive. It's just brilliant, and it's so nice being on the show. I'm a complete true crime addict i know every crime that's ever happened across the world <laughs> so to be on a show where you're dealing with crime and it's just fantastic but it's also so i think what's nice about your character is you're you're slightly you know you're not that you're kind of the the oh, kind of personal got, emotional yeah. you yeah. know but um, she's got her head screwed on and she's sort of oh do you get involved in the crime oh oh, oh. Keep watching. Keep watching. <laughs> uh, Traces is the name of the show. This is season two, but it's very good because it, it 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 
catches you up really quickly yeah, if you didn't yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, she's in like yeah. straight away. And if you didn't see season one, you will catch up in yeah. a second. Uh, uh, it comes from an original idea by Val McDermott and it's on Alibi, which is part of UK TV. And you can watch that from this Tuesday, nine o'clock. Tuesday, the fifteenth of February. And Lady Rose, thank you so much for thank coming you, into season. Thank what, what, you. Well, that's that's a, what a nice thing. That's woken oh, yeah. me up now. That's woken yes. me up. Yay! <laughs> the Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast, Virgin Radio. Right uh, on Wednesday night. Yes, this Wednesday, the sixteenth of February, uh, the Theatre Royal Bath will be the premiere of An Hour and a Half Late, and one of the stars of that play joins me now, Griff Rees Jones. Hello. I am. Hello, how are you? I'm very well. So, uh, a new production, it starts on Wednesday. How are you feeling? I'm feeling in a state of some nervous anticipation. That's all I can get you say. You know that terrible time? That terrible time when you're thinking, we're never going to get up there, we can't be doing this in front of a whole audience. But... but it's been uh, it's been it's been a joy. So I'm just looking forward to now. You know, get to that also that stage where you go, let's get out there and see what people think of this. Well, particularly, I suppose, yes, you can only rehearse it so far, and then yeah, you're right. It needs that element. It needs an audience, um, and it's it's not just you. It's also the fabulous Janie D. Yes. Do you know Janie? I do. Yeah, I've seen her in loads of things and interviewed her a couple of times. I mean, she is she's your triple threat right there. She puts me on my metal because she is just a fantastic actress. I don't know if you, you know, you, I'm not going to include you in this, Graham, because I know you're a great actor as well. But there comes a point for us, us sort of comedian, sort of would-be amateur, do a little bit of everything type people, when we're suddenly on stage and I'm with Janie. And of course, every time we go through it, she lifts the game. And I'm thinking, no, I worked this out about two weeks ago. What I was going to do. I've got to lift my game to go with it. But it's um, it's a very entertaining play. So, so uh, we got a lot of lot of fun. And here's the thing. I so I'm not familiar with this play. Is this the is this a world premiere, or have there been productions of it before? It's, uh, it's pretty much the premiere of this translation. It was uh, a big hit in France. Ah. And, uh, and a big uh, sort of uh, sort of boulevardier, whatever the equivalent of their West, their end de West. It was in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so tell us, tell us about it. So you play a married couple. We do. We're on stage. It's like a sort of who's afraid of a Virginia Woolf, only a funny one. And uh, the two of them have a bit of um, uh, 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 an argument about life and every conceivable aspect of life, their children, what they've got to, what they should have done, what he should have done and everything on the way to something which makes them later and later for the thing that they are supposed to be going to. And is it just a two-hander or do other people show up? Yeah. No, that's the other thing that's interesting. I've never really been in a two-hander before because the thing is, I didn't. I mean, when you do a two-hander and you rehearse in the stage, or you're rehearsing in any play, usually there's a moment where you say, "Oh, good, they're rehearsing other people in another." <laughs> the, the really good <laughs> bits. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we go practice our lines now while they're rehearsing this. God, all that stuff that you need during a rehearsal period—that's gone. Because you think, well, is there a moment? No, of course, it's just the two of us carrying on. So that's been a bit of a learning curve for me as well. But uh, altogether, I mean, uh, really interesting. We had a bit, we had a sort of one of those, you know, we're up on our feet doing it. And a lot of people turned up yesterday. You know, all those people in theatre who are involved in it. You know, they're sort of lighting designer and the, and the stage manager's assistant of the man who does the set. They all turned up to have a look at it. And uh, we were really, we were, we were so, we, we came out floating on air. 
which obviously means we had a terrible, terrible run through just now. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that's a given. That's a given. Yeah, you know how it goes. Listen, good, the good... can't go wrong with this. And then, then the lunchtime comes along and, oh, no. Anyway. <laughs> but the good people of Bath love you. Uh, you in fact, wasn't that where the miser started? It was, yeah. And, um, and miser, the miser started there. We did um, uh, an absolute turkey going back a while now. But that was a big fado fast. I've done that in Bath. And then, you know, Graham, then it goes back into the dim mists of memory. Was I there before? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm already thinking, have I, have I imagined this, or is it true that yeah. Theatre Royal Bath was one of the ones that kind of reopened first? In Oh, they've, very, they've been very, very strong on getting up there. Ray Fiennes was there quite recently. And, uh, and uh, they. what happens with any production? Oh, thanks to COVID. We, we were going to do this about, literally about three years ago, two and a half years ago. We, we did the first refit. We're all ready to go. And then, um, and then uh, every now and again, sweetly, the producers would bring me up and say, let's go, let's do it now. And I'm the one saying, hmm. I was being the um, I was being the Keir Starmer rather than the Boris Johnson. I was the one saying, um, "Well, I, I think we better wait. <laughs> let's, let's wait and see whether it really is over." So um, <laughs> I'm assuming this this uh, this this sort of this thing is virtually over, and everybody's feeling safe to go back. And here we are. Yeah, and uh, just you know, fingers crossed, you and Janie stay well. Uh, <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it's all right. Lovely understanding. Yeah. but we don't intend to do it with the understanding. We'll work on through. I love working with Janie because Janie is from the from the proper, uh, you know, I don't, you know, trooper sort of variety of actor. I, I, she knows to get out there and do things. So, in fact, as soon as I write, we've got this massive sort of massive bit of verbiage. To, to trim and get into the frontal lobe and get in control. And Janie said, I'm going to do my cabaret on the Friday night, Griff, and I'd like you to come along and be a guest and sing, here are some songs, learn these as well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so we've got, you know, we're not, we're nothing if not game. And it's a great thing for me because I was actually on stage uh, just as the last... Uh, it fit, fit it very well. I'd, I'd done a sort of one man show. I'd, I'd done a number of one man shows. You know, you know what this is. Yeah. You know, once I was a tour de force, now I'm forced to tour. So I'd done these <laughs> one man shows. And we ended up in Barry St. Edmunds. And the, the thing, it was all beginning to lock down all around us. And uh, at that stage, it, I went on stage wearing the mask at the beginning of the thing, uh, at the beginning of the show. I took it off immediately and said, uh, uh, I'm just wearing this because I was doing a little bit of sanding <laughs> in the dressing room to try and improve the dressing room. But the funny thing was that at that stage, the whole audience thought the mask was hilarious. Yeah, that, that yeah. joke wore thin. <laughs> yeah, it did. So it, but but what, what it was, was it was sort of like, finish the tour, let the epidemic come in, and then epidemic finishes two and a half years later or whatever it is, Get back on stage again. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, like a yeah, greyhound from the slips. Uh, an yeah. hour and a half late. It starts on the 16th yeah. of February. Um, and theaters, tickets are available at theatreroyal.org.uk. And then is the idea that it might tour, Griff? Oh, no, it's more than an idea. We will. We're, we're off. Oh, we're you're off. off. Oh, the leaflets are printed. Oh, we're going to Richmond and Guildford and Eastbourne and Brighton. You know, you know the sort of, you know, round, round, round the nation. 
Yeah. We're off for a bit. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the, before the pandemic, you were doing your one man show. Now you're touring this and, and, you know, on TV, you do the travel programs. How were you when the world stopped? Did you enjoy the period of reflection or did you start writing a book or did you, you know, plant a huge garden? What did you do? I did all of those things. You're very, you're very perspicacious. Graham. <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> that is exactly what I did. So I started by enjoying, I have, I've got a big garden already up in Suffolk. I love my garden. But of course, as you pointed out, I'm quite a busy fellow. So I'm always charging about. So for the first time after, and this is the weird thing about having, you know, the resources, shall we say, to have a big garden, is for the first time I actually sat in the garden all the way through spring into summer and thought, what a great garden I've got. You know, we, this is all beautiful plant. Things like daffodils, you know, if you're busy, you arrive, you have a look at the daffodils and go, fine. The next time you come back, you, you realise that the, the daffodils are all gone. So you think the daffodils don't last very long. But in fact, they last forever. They last forever. <laughs> Small pleasures. Small pleasures. Yeah, it was just fantastic. And I thought, do you know, this is what retirement could be like. And I, I rang up a couple of actor friends of mine, and they were in a great state. First of all, an actor who didn't work a huge amount, but I rang up. He said, this is great. This is the best time I've ever had in my life because I'm not doing anything at all. But, of course, I have no guilt <laughs> because usually I'm not doing anything at all. And, and I'm thinking, why aren't I working? But now I can do nothing at all without having any sort of residual feeling of panic about it. It was fantastic. And then I rang up another actor, Nigel Havers, and I said, well, how's it going? And he said, I can't talk. I'm off to do the voiceover. I said, well, how can you even... And you realised that during the people of a certain ilk, shall we say, who were on in long suit, they never stopped there. They just carried on as if there were no... Did you find that? Well, I mean, I was lucky in the, you know, because the radio kept going and, uh, and a version of television, some of it better than others, you know, it, yeah, we, we muddled through. Um, and, but I think it was kind of, I found it kind of moving the way, the, the amount of hoops that people jumped through to try and get production up and running. But of course, theatre, I mean, you know, theatre doesn't work without an audience. So that really was kind of, you know, banjaxed. Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm slightly lazier and uh, more of a sort of um, old, uh, you know, sort of warthog these days. So I do find myself when they say, oh, let's keep going anyway, we can do it. And even if it's cancelled, it doesn't matter. And you go, uh, uh, <laughs> I believe it does. <laughs> I believe it does matter. Yes. Uh, but now, are, but are you are you thrilled to be back? Do you kind of, you know, has it given you a renewed appreciation for kind of, you know, working on a script? Tell me what you thought. It was that sort of strange thing where I, I did sit down and I've written two, half of two books, which is really, really bizarre. Instead of just finishing off one book, I've written two, two halves, which I got into the routine of writing and it was absolutely fine and everything. And then the phone starts ringing because it's all started. So I went to Canada um, uh, just before Christmas and various other things to make another travel series. And I was all across Canada wearing a mask, making a travel series about what Canadians look like wearing masks. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so we did all that. Uh, I got back and it was the slight feeling of, oh no, my life has taken a different turn now. Uh, because I've become like Montaigne, if I can use, you know, he, he decided he would disappear from his busy world and, and sequester himself in a, in, a, in, a, a, in a house in Burgundy or somewhere and just think. And I found that aspect of the whole, uh, the whole lockdown very, very acceptable. Because, as you know, 
when 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 producers and TV and radio and and the world out there starts ringing up, there's not a lot of thought somehow involved in it. It's just do I do this or not? Let's get going. Okay. So I'm sorry to get back into the slap bang wallop, but on the other hand, once you're doing it, you go, oh yeah, this is what I do. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Hey, the daffodils will have to live without you this year. I feel you're. you're- <laughs> I'll get Joe to send me some pictures. That'll be day. lovely. That'll yeah. be lovely. Uh, an hour and a half late. It uh, starts on the 16th of February in Bath, but then is touring all over the place. Uh, Google it for details. You can get tickets for Bath at theatreroyal.org.uk. Griffiths Jones, have a great run. Uh, give a love to Janie D and take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye, sir. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. There's more. But before we get to that, let's find out what Martha's been up to this weekend. Hello, Martha Collison. It's our show chef. Uh, Martha, it looks like the cover of a magazine. looks like the cover of Alicard magazine. I mean, I could go Instagram crazy on this. (laughs) Uh, It looks lovely. It's all styled on a big chopping board. Uh, What have you created for us? It's a Valentine's platter. (laughs) So Mm. um, we've got a lovely cut of beef, the Cote de Boeuf steak with a herb butter and then I've made some potato dauphinoise because, <gasps> in my opinion, that is the best way to eat a potato. And now that's that's, that's fighting talk. <laughs> I mean, I would say there's no wrong way to eat a potato. I mean, agreed. <laughs> I eat, you always see on Facebook or something all those things, or oh, what kind of potato would you be if you were a potato? I think I'll have them all. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I like them all. Thank you very much. Dauphinoise, creamy, layers. Mm. 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 <laughs> uh, so now, so if you're planning uh, a, a, either a romantic night or a special night, you and somebody, you want to celebrate Valentine's Day in some way, uh, how much planning and prep needs to go into this? So thankfully, not loads and loads. It takes a little bit of time in the kitchen, but... You can do it together. You can do bits in advance so that you've got stuff prepped. I wouldn't do it together. Not if Maybe. you want the evening. Yeah, just, <laughs> just not if you want the relationship the to last. If you want the relationship to last, I wouldn't do it together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Prep it in advance. There's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of bits to prep in advance, and it's just the steak that needs to go on at the last minute. Okay. How long do those of we'll find out how to make them, but how long does it take to do those ovens? Those, those potatoes in the oven. So the potatoes in the oven are about 40 minutes. Oh, okay. So, but well, once they're in, they're in. They don't need any bother. Nice, <laughs> nice. And I see you've done some nice asparagus on the side there. It felt like it needed a bit of green. <laughs> Otherwise, it was garlic, meat and potatoes. And I thought, we're going to need some green. <laughs> Soak this up. Yeah, lovely, lovely, lovely. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait to dig into this. Uh, I'll tell you how it was and how to make it. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Now, normally I manage to finish... My Waitrose deliciousness, uh, courtesy of Martha. Uh, I didn't. I haven't managed to get through it all. I think I overserved myself I, on a the big potato. Scoop of potatoes. Yes, I did go a bit mad at them. They are delicious. Oh, thank you. Uh, okay, should we? Uh, how should we go about this? Should we prep the potatoes first? Yes, that's okay. how you would do it. So let's go with that. <laughs> okay. So you want to take potatoes, peel them, and then slice them either really thinly using a knife, or you can use a little kind of mandolin grater. If you've got oh, a fancy mandolin. things in your cupboards. I don't own one. I've often thought about it, but I don't. You can do it in a food processor as well if it's got one of those kind of if they normally have a chopper or a grater function. That sounds so. like the opening of an episode of Casual to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh. <laughs> Carefully your fingers, but <laughs> yeah. In they go. So you want them nice and finely sliced. Then they go into a saucepan or an oven-proof dish with some double cream, some milk and some garlic. And then you start to cook them. So those potatoes start to get a little soft. Then you put them into an oven dish if they're not already in one. Sprinkle the top with some gria, a little bit of anchovy is where the saltiness comes from. Uh, wow, and then... that's, a, that, that's, a, that's your top tip right there. 
That's your price yeah. of admission. <laughs> Some anchovy on top of your uh, Dover Nost potatoes. Yeah, wow. on top and a few kind of scattered in between. This had a really nice salty, kind of natural saltiness, if you like it. Because it, it dissolved. Really the anchovies just dissolve, dissolve yeah, into it, don't they? they just they? go yeah. into the cream and they just create these lovely little pockets of salty deliciousness. <laughs> Gorgeous. And then you were saying 40 minutes, boom, you're done. Yeah, 40 minutes. And whilst that's cooking away, you can prep your steak. Okay. So this is a beautiful waitress number one coat de boeuf. It's kind of a cut of a rib of beef. So think about big ribs you'd have at Christmas. It's a little portion for two from that but it does have a bone sticking out of the end of it it does have a bone so it looks a little bit you know dramatic a bit exciting yeah a bit axe a bit hatchet <laughs> yeah you look yeah. really impressive yeah, desperate. it's a bit desperate Dan yeah so you've got your bone sticking out at the end. You want to season and oil the steak. So a top tip for steak is always season and oil the steak rather than the pan because otherwise you get that horrible burnt oil and it kind of... Oh, okay. That. So oil and the steak and then you want to sear it on a pan, really high heat, a couple of, just a minute or two on each side. Then it goes into the oven and then you want to use the back of the pack to calculate how long you want that for, for the kind of rare to medium to well done that you desire. But because it goes in the oven at the end, it's quite nice because you're not flinging about all your pans yeah rest at the end rest it for 10 minutes before you slice it up and do you cover it with foil when you rest it or just let it rest i would although because this isn't a particularly huge piece of meat it shouldn't get too cold within the 10 minutes it doesn't need to rest for that long okay and then is there you know because you know it's it's a meal for two so is there a bit of it that's going to be more well done and a bit of it that's going to be less well done like it does the bit about the bone cook less quickly or more quickly how does that work yeah so the bit near the bone will probably cook slightly less quickly so it's good if one of you prefers it slightly more rare but you should get a pretty even even kind of cook across the whole thing and then you want to make i've made a herby butter to go on the top so this is a butter that i mashed together with some herbs parsley tarragon some mustard some pink peppercorns which adds a bit of valentine's pink <laughs> to your dish mm. and that goes onto the beef before you put it into the oven so then it melts over the top and just covers oh, it in a gorgeous. little blanket and after you've eaten this, I mean, after those garlic potatoes, you are only kissing each other. Yes. <laughs> it cements you yeah. to each other. They're not going to leave you. They're not going to leave you after this. <laughs> For a few days. It's going to linger. Yeah. If you want all the details on how to make this seared waitress and partners number one coat to buff with herb butter, uh, you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and stab away there and you'll get the receipt. Thank you so much, Martha. Graham Norton on Virgin Radio with Waitrose. It's time to meet my first guest of the day. He returns to the stage in the West End of the Gilgood Theatre from the 10th of March in To Kill a Mockingbird. It is Rafe Spall. Uh, good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Thank you for having me. It, well, no, very nice to see you and you've you've dressed up. I have. You've made an effort. A tweed suit. Yeah. No, mm. Is this you in character? Are you sort of living the part? Uh, no. I mean, I, I, I do like clothes um, and this is definitely I'm glad a, you're wearing them. yeah thank you very much yeah. this is a suit for radio I know it's the radio but uh, still yeah, it, indeed um no I, what i do do when i'm rehearsing the plays i wear a tie every day so i like to wear clothes nice clothes um like fancy suits and stuff but i don't necessarily wear wear um ties but i do when i'm playing atticus finch because i feel like i've got to do something <laughs> To try and convince myself before I convince everyone everyone else that I can be Atticus Finch. So, uh, where are you in the great scheme of things in terms of rehearsals and mm-hmm. stuff? Had you had you started rehearsing this before? No. Um, so it's been postponed a few times for obvious reasons, um, and we are about halfway through the rehearsal period at the moment. Are you off book? No. Rafe? Okay. 
I'm not off book, Graham. Thank you for bringing that to the attention of all of your listeners. Because <laughs> well, I imagine there's a lot of book. A lot of book. It's a it's a big part, man. Yes. It's a big part. I did a play um, before the first lockdown, which was a one-person play at the National Theatre called Death of England. And that was big, right? That was like 16,000 words. And I thought nothing will ever be as difficult as that until I got this. And it is difficult in a different way. It's difficult. Why? That's interesting. Is, is it, why is it hard? Because you would think doing mm. a one big monologue would be mm. the hardest learning job in the world. Well, it, it, there's a lot of things to deal with. People's expectations. So, so when you say the words Atticus Finch, you've either got Gregory Peck in your mind or the picture that you painted yourself in your brain when you read the book. Or if you were lucky enough to see it on Broadway, Jeff Daniels and Ed Harris. Now, you can bet your life I'm nothing like any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> so you're having to go, oh, gosh, like everyone's going to be expecting Gregory Peck. And I think... I'm probably the opposite to Gregory Peck. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking about this earlier because there's something about it, it, sort of a hero like that mm. was very much of his time. Mm. You know, that he was this sort of moral giant in the town and mm. he stood for good. And that's not what people are like. You know, mm. people aren't wholly good. <laughs> that's a very good point. And so... Um, you have to find the human in it. And also something that occurred to me recently is that the book, in all its genius, is written from the perspective of a 10-year-old girl about her father. Now, most 10-year-old kids have a sort of deified version of their parent if they're anywhere half decent. And um, what, what Aaron Sorkin's script does is it meets Atticus at eye level. So it's kind of from his point of view, whereas the book yeah. um, uh, is is from Scout's point of view. Now, obviously, the, the our, our production reflects that. We've got Gwyneth Keyworth playing Scout, who's phenomenal. But um, this this makes, I suppose, Atticus more of the protagonist in the book. And that's as you mentioned, uh, was it Gwyneth? Yes. Played? So is she playing younger so that she can do all the performances? Yeah, yeah. So so we've got um, we've got grown-ups playing kids. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. when you say playing younger, yeah, quite a lot younger. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so Gwyneth's character is about eight uh, in it. Um, Jem is about ten, and Dill similarly ten, I think. Um, but yeah, they're played by grown-ups. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, and so yeah. Is Atticus Finch is also played by something <laughs> approximating a grown-up. <laughs> and you mentioned Aaron Sorkin there. You know, he. You can see why he was drawn to this. Yeah, because courtrooms are one of the few places that people can do the sort of talking he likes. That's very true. Uh, <laughs> has he been in... Have you met him? Yeah. Yeah, uh, he was there He was there on the first day. So you, so when you do a play, the first thing you do is you come and you do a read-through, right? So there's 27 people in this show. Big company. It's fantastic. And it was great to be back in a room of actors again. Big company of actors after so long of not doing that. Um, and Aaron Sorkin was there. And, you know, he's like one of the best writers in the history of the world. And um, he's only heard um, Ed Harris and Jeff Daniels do it. <laughs> Seriously, that's all he's heard do it. So then this m me came in to do it. And he was there. And honestly, Graham, having to read it in front of him for the first time at the read-through will be the scariest this gets. And I've got to go out and do this in front of a thousand people on, on the 10th of March. Like, it won't get as scary as that. And... I mean, did you, when in a situation like that, what do you do? Do you just bury your head in the text so you don't look at him? Or are you constantly checking him to see, oh, he laughed at that. Oh, he what seemed does to daddy enjoy, think? Yeah, he, no. he, he, seemed, he seemed to enjoy that. <laughs> yes, you, you, both. You can't, you can't help but look over. And also it's like, 
because I was lucky enough to be asked to do this, right? So no one had heard me do it at all. No one knew if I could do the accent, nothing. So you, so you, <laughs> you said yes. Yeah, I said yes. Um, exactly. So I came in on the first day, and um, and I and you sort of say your first few lines, and you do you do look up at everyone to be like, oh, is that is that all right? And you know, and to get through the first day, and to not not be fired. It sounds trite, actors talking about that, but you do get you do worry about it. Yeah. You know, you and do. It does happen. It does. It happened to me once. I got fired. It did. I got fired after a read-through for a radio play. No. Yes, I did. Yeah, the ignominy of that. Can you imagine? Worst case scenario, that happened to me. So <laughs> okay. So the fear was real. The this fear, was, yeah, yeah, it's happened. It's based on experience. It happened many, many years ago, but it's always stuck with me. Yeah. And tell me this, because you talked there about, you know, humanising Attics of Adventure, yeah. finding the humour. In that read-through, did you find jokes that Aaron Sorkin hadn't put in if you know what I mean did you oh I don't know if I can take credit for those but you know it the thing about Aaron Sorkin's writing is that he there's a joke in every scene right so um uh watching a few good men the other day um with um Jack Nicholson you know the you can handle the truth oh, that yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching that I was like this is brilliant brilliant and I was like oh my goodness I'm gonna be in an Aaron Sorkin courtroom drama how about that but he makes it funny and it's um, rich and deep, but it's always funny. And if you're paying a fortune, in some cases, to come and watch a West End show, I think it's your duty as a company to give them some laughs. Yeah. No matter how serious the show is, I've done Ibsen. If there's a laugh, let's have it, please. Oh, I, I, I love you right now, Rachel. Right. I love you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we should, must talk about the Salisbury poisonings because mm. I haven't seen you since then. Mm. Um, did you? I can't remember. When did that come out? Did that come out during I think lockdown? May 2020. So it was. I think so. Something like that, yeah. So in fact, yes, yeah, so your viewing figures must have been huge because that was the time when people eventually chained themselves to their televisions. Yes. Yeah, it was It was good. People People enjoyed it. Yeah, that was... Um, it was a... Uh, it's incredible to do something like that, to make a drama out of something which was so recent. Yes, yeah, so recent. It was only a couple of years after we made it, you know, uh, before we made it. Um, and also to be playing someone who is around and uh is very keen to to have their story told correctly you know it's a it was a big responsibility but it was um yeah i was lucky to be involved and you presumably filmed it in salisbury filmed it in salisbury yeah so like presumably we're like lots of people just coming up to you on the street kind of going oh yeah i was here on that day actually i was doing my shopping and blah 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 yeah yeah there was there was that sort of thing and um also some people who were like look we've been through enough <laughs> The last thing we need is you lot here getting in the way. Um, the streets are closed again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Traffic exactly. is awful again. Exactly, exactly. And it's your fault. Um, but yeah, no, Salisbury's a cool town. Have you been to Salisbury? Yes, I have. It's one of the tallest spires in the country, I believe. Is it now? Thanks for that fact. No, that's why they went, wasn't it? That, the, that was their excuse. The Russians, the Russians said they'd been to Salisbury to see the tallest spire in Britain. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, I, yeah well, I, 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 I didn't know until today that I've borne witness to the tallest spire in England. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you. Well, no, someone will text in now. Go, Instagram, York Minster. Uh, I don't know. I well, think it is. I it's think a it hell is. of a spire, whatever it is. Yes. It's a terrific spire. Yeah, it's it's lovely. As and, spires go. Uh, yeah. And hopefully you you know you won't be you won't be back. You won't be you won't be bothering the people of Salisbury again. I, unless it is to take in that magnificent spire, spire. once again. So tall. <laughs> So very, very tall. <laughs> and when you are... So, you know, the, there's filming and you've done lots of filming and you've been lots of things. When you come to do a run like this, mm. how do you 
approach it as an actor? Because it must be kind of, do you get kind of like match fit? Do you get ready for it? Or is it just like, I'm going to work and it's another day at the office? Yeah, both. You do. Yeah. This will be the longest I've ever done in a play. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do 20 weeks, which um, is shorter than some and longer than others. But like, it's the longest I've ever done a play. So doing that, is eight that six times, months, something like that. So doing that for something. <laughs> no, it's six months, right? Because you're yeah, in it for six months, half a year. <laughs> <laughs> but look, it's, fa- it's fantastic. It's fantastic to get to do, to get to do that. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I don't know. I'm still in the stage of like working out what it's going to be like in that you get, when you're doing a play, you get this sort of crushing inevitability of the fact that you will be showing it to people no matter what happens on march the 10th which happens to be my birthday thank you uh which happens to be my birthday i'm going to go up in front of a thousand odd people and play atticus finch for better or worse um and that's unavoidable and and brilliant um but you know a bit hairy and do you already know, I know you're only halfway through the rehearsal yeah. process, do you already know the bit of the play, which for you is, ah, home stretch. We're, we're at this bit now. That's so funny. You bring it home. That. Bring so it funny. home, Ray. It's so funny. You always, you, I was saying it the other day in rehearsals, there's always a bit in a play where you go, ah, oh, I'm through it. <laughs> I'm through it. And yes, I do know what that is. I'm not going to disclose it <laughs> no. in case anyone comes <laughs> to see it and goes, oh, look at him. Look at him relaxing now. Um, <laughs> coasting to the, coasting, coasting, to, the coasting to the end. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, this is it's it's we were just talking when the song was on just just a it's a it's it heralds something of the beginning of big scale plays straight yeah. plays returning to the west end so there's 27 in the company it's a big show it's big sets big set changes um and i'm really thrilled to be a part of that because you know a lot of people have been able to carry on in the entertainment industry with with films and tv with all the covid protocols in place but it's been really difficult to get people back into into rooms and doing big plays again and um i've missed it it's part of the heart of our country yeah part of the soul of the nation is our theater we've got the best theater in the world and to be part to you know to be part of bringing that back again is is brilliant and also i think because i get it producers are trying to figure out how do we make money out of a play Mm because people want to go to see musicals they want to skip and they've often thrown some inappropriate tv stars or hollywood stars and things Uh, but in the end what's great is that this is a this is a great work it's a great play it's a great story but it's one of those i was thinking the other day there's there's very few books that i think you could go out onto the street and take a survey of 100 people and most people would have heard of at least kill a mockingbird right yeah um, uh, would have some knowledge of it. Um, that's quite rare. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, how many other books there are like that, really. But it's um, to, so to have that, to have the book, to have it adapted by one of our greatest living writers. Uh, it played to great acclaim on Broadway. Um, it was. A, it was a, exactly. I think it was the um, the highest grossing American play of all time. Wow. So. Um, if that goes wrong, I wonder who we blame. <laughs> that Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, no, so it's, American. It's um, no, it's it's uh, it's. I tell you what, it is. It's really fancy. It's a really fancy show. And and as a kid, I, you know, I dreamed of this sort of thing, of being asked to play big fancy parts in big in big plays like this. And uh, let me tell you, you've got to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. And is it the director of the Broadway production is now directing? Bartlett it? Share is, is yeah. the, the director of the original production. It is essentially the West End transfer of the Broadway production. Yes. And have you worked on Broadway? 
I did I did Betrayal by um, uh, Harold Pinter on Broadway with Daniel Craig and Rachel Weisz. Oh, right. Yes, uh, that was directed by the late, great Mike Nichols, and it was the last thing he ever directed. So, yes, I have I have done Broadway. So you so this way of work. I mean, does he work in a slightly different way, or is it just theatre, theatre, and the, yeah, the, it, you know, he's he a great director is a great director. Oh, oh Bartlett, he's he's brilliant. Um, uh, and you know, he, <laughs> resisting now, old oh, Bartlett. Yeah, old Bartlett. You know, old Bart. No, he's he's terrific. It, look, the thing the thing that's so lovely about about my job about actors I love actors I've grown up with actors my dad's an actor I've been around actors my whole life I really like them they tend to be very open fun people quite detrimental actually uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to one's life but but no I mean they're, they're, they're great people and actors are actors everywhere right so when I did the first night of betrayal on Broadway and every famous person in the world was in the audience I mean like uh, Bruce Springsteen um, uh, Spielberg um, Julia Roberts, all these people, Joe Biden. I mean, it was insane. And when Daniel, who's James Bond, and Rachel, who's won an Oscar, and little old me, were stood there backstage looking in each other's eyes, I was like, we're the same. We are the same. We're all frightened and we're all go- we're all going to do this together. And actors are actors everywhere, no matter how successful they are. Well, listen, much success to you in To Kill a Mockingbird, starting on the 10th of March at the Gielgud. It'll run and run, sir. It'll run and run. Uh, thank you very much for coming in to see us, Rafe Spall. Thank you for having Take me, care. Graham. All thank right. You. Cheers. The Graham Norton Radio Show Podcast. Virgin Radio. Uh, best-selling author, Josie Silver. One night on the island, out baby back now. Poor Josie. She joins me on the line. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I'm so, so sorry. It's been an absolute nightmare journey. Um, and I'm actually in your reception on my phone because I just haven't got time to get up the stairs. Oh, oh at least you're, well, you're here. You're here. Um, but it, yeah. it's, it's like a scene from one of your books. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all grist for the mill. It will go in the book at some point. Yeah. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Has gone wrong, yeah. There's uh, some kind of run going on outside. So I was going to actually join the run and just, you know, just, just run. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. London is no one's friend. If they're, if yeah. you've got to be somewhere on time, it's no one's friend. I'm so so sorry, Josie. No, uh, no, so you. listen, one night on the island, I was talking to someone the other week, and they'd written a kind of you know one of those closed room murder books. This is like a closed room romance. Well, I guess you could call it that. Yeah, it's um, it's two people who um, double book the same remote lodge on an Irish island and find that they have no way out so they have to stay there because the boat only arrives once a week so they've both gone there to be alone but they find that they're anything but alone and have to try and kind of develop this relationship where they can stand each other just about Um, a real love-hate kind of sparky hilarious kind of chemistry between them Um, she's from London she's um, a dating columnist and he's American and they're complete opposites and they, you know, they have this kind of dynamic, combustible relationship with, um, you know, everything that can go wrong does go wrong, which is um, yeah. kind of the story of my life. Yeah, today. really. Yeah. <laughs> just written from experience. Well done, you, Josie. Uh, in fact, this whole thing is just a publicity stunt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did it. Yeah. Uh, now, because you, you write it in both voices, you do Cleo and you do Mac. Yeah. Uh, as a writer, did you find one of them easier? Did you find one of them harder? Did you kind of think, oh, oh no, it's a Cleo bit. Oh, no, it's a Mac bit. Um, obviously, the, the the female point of view comes easier to me. But the 
I, I mean, most of my books have been written in dual point of view. And for the men, I kind of just draw on, you know, the men in my own life. I'm quite lucky to have, you know, a lovely husband and family and, you know, inspiration from TV. So, you know, the, the best kind of men on telly, like, I don't know, Jack from This Is Us and the, the Roses from Shit's Creek, you know, so draw inspiration from the men there to try and create kind of, you know, the best kind of men that, the men that you would want to meet. And tell me this, the location is gorgeous, Salvation Island. Is it based on a a real island? Um, It's based on a lot of real islands, actually. Obviously, I wrote it in the pandemic, so there was no opportunity to go anywhere to research. So my research was all kind of, you know, internet, that kind of stuff. So I sort of cherry-picked bits of all the different islands and built my own perfect islands. You know, it's it's too frightening to use a real one if you can't actually go there and make sure that you get it right. Um, so no, it's not real, unfortunately. Although that's the question people have asked me most about the book: is where is it? And how do I get there? Because yeah. it's just so how do I book this? How do I book this beautiful cottage? And yeah. Cleo, Cleo, she has this column: uh, finding my flamingo. Tell us about flamingos. I did not know this. Oh, um, oh gosh, you've caught me. Um, well, we had to try and find um, an animal that dates for life, and we found some really like unpleasant ones that weren't as as, um, as palatable so she has this dating column that's called Finding My Flamingo um, and she's kind of spent the last few years running this London busy life in this dating column and kind of bouncing from date to date and looking for the perfect um, other half and the whole kind of point of the story is that you don't really need you to find your other half you know that, that she does this thing called self-partnering which is um, something that she picked up from a um, an Emma Watson interview which is really about being single but being happily single um, and that's kind of the message of the book is discovering that you don't need to find someone else to feel completely happy Exactly, you could be alone without being lonely Yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, One Night on the Island is the book it's out in paperback now uh, we've, we've got to try and squeeze in some of your song choice uh, before we have to okay. go uh, so what have you chosen and by the way do come upstairs and have a picture and say hello now that you're in the okay. building <laughs> there, might, there might be some of Martha's ice cream left to cool you down <laughs> after, after your sprint <laughs> uh, so what, what, what did you what you actually well, the, 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 the song features in the book but uh, yeah. tell us what it is it's um, Bruce Springsteen, Thunder Road, and it's Mac is American. He's from Boston. He's proper um, all-American Red Sox, really articulate, good teeth, proper American. Um, and his favourite track is Thunder Road, and it pops up at pivotal points in the book. So that's why I've chosen this one. All right, here it is. Thank you so much, Josie. I'm so sorry you've had a horrible, <laughs> horrible day. Uh, hope, no, you have a nice, you. hope you have a nice Sunday you. afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast with Waitrose. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And don't forget, the next episode of this podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Chat soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio.